I had grown my email list to over 35,000 subscribers. And (laughs) how do you all of a sudden go, by the way, I know you followed me for a long time, but I'm going to be heading over here. I know that's not exactly what you signed up for. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Jennifer Fugo. I have a virtual clinical practice, digital products, virtual group coaching programs, some business coaching for clinical nutritionists who are just getting out of school and aren't sure how to set up a practice. And I am in the process of launching a physical product line. And how long have you been doing this? Since 2009. So I've been online for a long, long time. And while her business is thriving now, that wasn't always the case. I was a clinical nutritionist and I couldn't get people to sign up for consults. Like so many of us, early on, Jen struggled with her messaging, marketing, and putting together product and service offerings that her audience actually wanted to buy. Until she was given some extremely generous advice, which led to a realization. I need a platform that clearly helps people where they are, not forces what I know they need or what I think they need on them, because I'm not going to be able to sell things that they don't want. I'm not going to be able to engage them in services for things that they don't want. With this in mind, Jen started seeing results, but something in her business still didn't feel quite right. So she made the decision to walk away from the brand and email list that she'd spent years building and start fresh in an entirely new niche. While the shift was definitely scary, Jen was thoughtful and strategic about how she approached it. You have to test out ideas. It's really important to do that. And so I didn't just make a hard right turn. I tested out the idea. The testing worked and her new brand, Skinterrupt, was born with her podcast, The Healthy Skin Show, at the center of it all. From there, things took off fast. The first month of the show being on the air, I had 9,500 downloads And my old show had been on the air for four years. I had never had 90, nowhere even close, maybe 2,000 downloads in a really good month. And while the download numbers were great, they were also driving real results for her business. By the middle of the year, I was then at a point where I had 10X'd my practice's income. One of the most frustrating parts of running a business is creating an offer that you know is perfect for your audience but struggling to get anyone to take you up on it. In this episode, Jen and I talk a lot about how to create content, products, and services that people actually want to engage with. When I started the show, I knew exactly who I was talking to. It is so important you know who you are talking to. I also did a lot of market research on podcasts and what was available out there and what wasn't. So I knew that I could fill a very specific void, essentially a blue ocean. To start off, I asked Jen about the circumstances that led her to make the big decision to leave her old brand behind in order to start building a new brand from the ground up. So I had a website called Gluten-Free School for many years. And it got to the point, especially when I went to grad school, that it was just no longer a good fit for me. It's not that I'm like back on the gluten train or anything like that. Like I can't eat gluten. So it's just become a way of life for me. However, I don't believe that elimination diets are as powerful as 
I used to. I think they can be a tool in the toolbox, but they shouldn't be the end-all be-all. And scaring the heck out of people around food is not really what I would love to spend my time doing. And so it began to feel for a number of years like gluten-free school was like wearing a pair of pants from high school. I'm 40. That is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't fit. They would look kind of goofy because they're of the wrong style. Just was not a good fit. And I just didn't feel right about I was I wanted to share things that helped people more deeply, but it just wasn't it anymore. So I made the decision to transition gluten-free school to my own personal website. So it's just jenniferfugo.com. But that wasn't enough. I wanted to really make an impact in another area. And as I actually was working with a business coach, they helped me to see that I had this whole history with skin issues, specifically eczema, that I really never talked much about. I had touched on it here and there, but it was really transformative for me because it began my final year of grad school. And then I began to incredibly suffer with eczema and found no relief from conventional medicine. And and part of my journey was figuring out all of these pieces while recognizing that the wellness world had done a very poor job of helping people with these issues. And as I was in a lot of Facebook groups for skin issues, I recognized that People were just doing the same old, same old. They were either like talking about medications over the counter or conventional like prescription medications, or they were like, okay, what diet stuff can we do? And that was pretty much the end of it. And there was a lot of pictures of people from adults all the way down to babies suffering, just horrific Mm -hmm. suffering. And I'm like, I just can't leave these people behind because I'd like to really share with them what helped me recognizing what helped me might not be the exact right fit for them, but perhaps... My lesson here was that there's a lot more things we don't know that we should be talking about and we could have a conversation around that. And so I began working on that whole new concept. Um, I hired a branding agency to help me really understand the tone and the feel and everything, which was incredibly invaluable. And then I had this idea for a podcast because I had a podcast before And that's where we connected because I really felt that I like to explain things (laughs) (laughs) and it felt like the easiest way to engage people, at least for my personality, because I am very emotive and I know that people enjoy listening to me. And so I felt that that was probably a better fit than writing like 5,000 word articles. You know, that just wasn't my thing. And so... I think when we first connected, you were telling me some of the stats uh, in terms of email list and social following. You had grown gluten-free school to, you know, what a lot of people would really look at and say, like, I wish I had that kind of following. Like, where was that kind of at at this point where you were kind of transitioning? Yeah. So that was scary because I had grown my email list to over 35,000 subscribers. And... (laughs) How do you all of a sudden go, oh, hey, by the way, I know you followed me for a long time, but I'm going to be heading over here. I know that's not exactly what you signed up for. And so one thing that I did, which I think was invaluable advice, and I I do tell people, like I also coach sometimes like clinical nutritionists who are just coming out of school or who are looking for help, is like you have to test out ideas. It's really important to do that. And so I didn't just make a hard right turn. I tested out the idea. So what I did was I created an online event. I called it the Eczema and Psoriasis Awareness Week. 
And I had like, you know, I did it sort of summit style. And I ended up adding, I think something like 10 or 15,000 new leads to my list who were just skin specific. And because I didn't have anything to engage those people with afterwards, those people got mad at me. (laughs) Like, I don't want to hear about gluten. I don't care about gluten. Why are you emailing me this content? I was like, oh gosh, that was the realization that I needed to create a new home for, for these folks. And so what I did was I went back to my old list. I said, Hey, listen, I'm not going to take you off my list. If you want to unsubscribe, that's totally cool. But I may periodically have some things that actually may interest you. So I'm not going to bother you all that often. But if you want to hear about the skin stuff, let me know. And I had them, you know, click a link to tag them in my, um, I use Infusionsoft, but you could do that with Active Campaign or anything mm-hmm. else. And I ended up now, I think I have about 20,000 folks that are skin specific. And, you know, I certainly have some people unsubscribe. I think the total list is around 26,000. I'm a big fan of cleaning up your list. So if people got to go, they got to peace out, let them go. Don't feel bad that your list size has shrunk. It's better to have a healthy list than not. And it was the best decision I ever made. Jen and I first connected when she was looking for help launching her new show. One of her frustrations with her old show is that she had been putting in the work, growing her audience, but was having a tough time monetizing it. I've been there myself, and maybe you have too. If so, you know that it can be really demoralizing. I wanted to know if now, with the benefit of hindsight, she was able to pinpoint some of the issues with her previous podcast and content strategy, and what changes she had made when it came to the new show. Well, a couple of things that you have to factor in, which you helped me see, actually, was that My old podcast format was the regular interview style. Like the whole interview was them. It was always me saying, oh, check out this person. Check out that person. Hey, check out their book. It was never placing myself as an expert, at least on par or somewhere Mm -hmm. close. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to consider myself on par with Dr. Perlmutter. I mean, he's like really smart or Dr. Terry Walls. I mean, those people are amazing, brilliant folks, but... If I was going to position myself as an expert, I had to give myself some room within the show. And so the new show format was really geared toward providing me some real estate and the guests some real estate and being very fair and judicious about that. So interviews were capped. My show is 30 minutes because the thing is, when I started the show, I knew exactly who I was talking to. It is so important you know who you are talking to because people have asked me, why is your show only 30 minutes? Because the people that listen to my show predominantly are women, more specifically, their moms driving their kids to school. And so they have about a 30 minute window in the car to listen to that show. 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back. And because I know that, and because I know that maybe part of the time kids are going to be in the car, or maybe a young one's going to be in the car the whole time. If we talk about stuff that may be about, you know, some parts of the body that are not (laughs) considered pleasant discussion, we'll do a little bit of a, hey, FYI, we're going to be talking about some adult stuff today on the show to give the mom the opportunity to decide, okay, maybe I'm just going to hold off until later. I'll listen then. So knowing your audience is critical. That's why the show is a half hour. And we decided to say, okay, one guest will get 15 minutes and I'm going to talk for 10 to 15 minutes, answering a listener's question, talking about a topic that's important to me. Um, doing some advocacy around the issue. 
and really helping to educate people about things that they just probably haven't heard about yet. And that was a really amazing format until I realized I had more to say. And that's when we started breaking it up where I would do one episode of just me alone and then one episode with like part of me and then the guest. So giving myself some space was a really critical part to being able to say, yeah, I'm just as much of an expert as the folks that I'm having on. If you listen to Jen's podcast, her expertise on her subject matter and her empathy for her audience clearly shine through. And that's led to some serious results, both for the show and her business. I'll let Jen explain. So in the strategy of creating a new brand and developing the podcast concept with you, you know, the first month of the show being on the air, I had 9,500 downloads. And my old show had been on the air for four years. I had never had 90, nowhere even close, maybe 2,000 downloads in a really good month if I had somebody like Dr. Perlmutter, Um, but (laughs) never that many. And so that was in January of 2019. By March of 2019, my practice income had increased by 600%. That's how significant of an increase it was. And and I think part of the reason too was because people started to find me. They were sharing the show because it was nothing else like it. I mean, I also did a lot of market research on podcasts and what was available out there and what wasn't. So I knew that I could fill a very specific void, essentially a blue ocean, And people began to get to know my story. They felt that because I had been through it in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I work with people who have all different type of skin rash conditions like psoriasis and dandruff. I I never had those conditions, but because I have a lot of empathy and I've gone through the skin issue myself with eczema, they're like, I feel like you get it. You understand me. By the middle of the year, so by June, I was then at a point where I had 10X'd my practice's income. And the majority, because I always ask on my intake forms, like, how did you find me? And the majority of people found me from the Healthy Skin Show. Some found me from other podcasts. So part of my launch and promotion strategy was to go on other people's podcasts to promote my podcast. So I would go on the other show, talk about the Healthy Skin Show. Those listeners who were interested were like, oh my gosh, there's a show all about this. And they'd come and listen. And So it was a great way to funnel people into the show. And so I am absolutely able to see a good ROI, but you have to be very intentional about the way you go about it. I just want to jump in here and give some context to Jen's results, because chances are, if you've started a podcast from scratch yourself, you didn't get anywhere near 9,000 downloads in your first month. And you're not alone. Even me, with all my knowledge of podcast marketing and strategy, I'm not going to hit those types of numbers with this show for a long time. Remember, Jen had been building her business for 10 years at the time she launched this show and had tens of thousands of people on her email list, even if they weren't all interested in the new content. While she certainly had some advantages going for her, there's also a lot we can learn from Jen's story. First, doing your market research and identifying a gap is essential to gaining a foothold in any niche. I shared a lot more about this in episode five, which is all about being the best in the world for a specific group of people. So definitely check that episode out. Secondly, once you've identified your audience, approach them with empathy, understanding, and really get to know who they are and what they're struggling with. Third, once you know who they are, create content that is tailor-made for them, just like Jen did when she was talking about her episode format. Finally, 
commit to doing the legwork early and take the lead in getting out in front of the people who are interested in your content, rather than waiting on them to find you. For Jen, that meant guesting on other podcasts. If you can do all of these things, you stand a much better chance of seeing results quickly. Of course, Jen didn't just build an audience. As you heard, she was able to very quickly turn those podcast listeners into clients. Monetizing an online audience is one of the things that online wellness business owners struggle with the most. I've heard of plenty of influencers in the wellness space with hundreds of thousands or even millions of online followers who really struggle to make a profit. I asked Jen what she'd learned about offers that convert over the 10 years of working online. I would say the thing is you got to know your audience. I ask a lot of questions. Even my lead magnets are things that people have repeatedly asked me for. I've spent too much time making things that I thought would be helpful for people to have nobody download them, nobody sign up for them. So I stopped that. (laughs) Everything that I offer people is what they have asked for. And if I have an idea, I have to slowly seed that in and play with it in other ways, like test it out with clients, test it out with group programs, test it out on Instagram and see if as I slowly educate people, is there an interest in this? I think there's that rush to say, I know what you need, but what you think they need and what they truly need and what they want may be very different things. I'll give you an easy example. I was helping a colleague figure out what some of the opt-ins that could then lead to lead magnets would be in her practice. And she said, well, I don't want to do anything from like a diet recipe book because I don't want to work with people who are just focused on diet. And I said, yeah, but what about the people that come from that perspective? That's their starting point. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to end there. So I have a recipe book. I have a guide on how to get the right labs run. I have a guide for how to figure out root causes for your skin issues. I'm like, I'm going to look at every different starting point that these people come from and I'm going to meet them where they are because that's what the opt-in is really about. It's about meeting them where they are and giving them something actionable within five or 10 minutes, super short. Nobody's going to sit there and watch like a two-hour webinar. They're probably not. And then from there, as you get to know these people, you can then make offers to them. One of my first questions in my email sequence is, can you please tell me what's going on with you? What's your greatest struggle right now? I read all of those emails and I save them. They're all in a folder. Hmm. And that was so helpful in me getting to know my audience and knowing what they wanted. So you mentioned that this wasn't always your mindset. At the start you had, and I think everybody starts out here where you know what they need and so you're going to shove it down their throats and that doesn't usually work out. How long did it take you to transition away from that mindset? And was there a kind of a breaking point there where you had had enough with this not working or, or what kind of got you to shift your mindset around that? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, some of you may know Ramit Sethi. He's like an online marketer. And I Will Teach You To Be Rich was where kind of his original starting point. And then it became I Will Teach You or something like that. And so I still... I still actually buy his courses and take his classes and things like that. And I appreciate his emails too. They're well-written. He's a great Mm -hmm. person to learn how to copyright and all sorts of things from. And so he had sent out an email and I was really frustrated with gluten-free school and I was a clinical nutritionist and I couldn't get people to sign up for consults. So the very beginning of that funnel, essentially. And I responded to the email thinking that, 
you know, he's like, what's your, you know, biggest frustration right now with your business? And I just said, I can't seem to get people to sign up for these sessions. They always complain about, I don't want to pay to learn how to go gluten free. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) There's a lot of free content about how to Mm -hmm. do that. And I was like, nobody's going to pay a nutritionist for that. So he got that email, went to my website, looked at it, because, you know, he has all this free time, responded back to me and was like, you have some major messaging problems on your homepage. Like he gave me a couple very specific things to look at. And that was the turning point where I was like, I need a platform that clearly helps people where they are, not forces what I know they need or what I think they need on them, because I'm not going to be able to sell things that they don't want. I'm not going to be able to engage them in services for things that they don't want. And so I realized that my customers and my clients want a co-pilot. They want to feel like they have a partner because right now they don't feel like they have that when they go to the doctors and they get the eye rolls and they're blown off. And so that's what I offer them is a partnership in the process so that they don't feel alone and and guidance and you know all the other stuff that comes along with it. But mostly they want the partnership. And so, like I said, it's really important to understand who you're talking to. You know, even if you just go into Facebook groups and you just listen, listening and being able to empathize and learning what is really paining people, if you can legitimately help them and support them, then that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I I mean, I think especially wellness practitioners, if you are seeing clients like you you have so much research available right there, people are already telling you if you're working one on one with people, you should be noting down every single thing that they are coming Mm -hmm. to you with the problems and the exact language they're using because you're having a conversation with them. So it's really easy to just dig in further and further and further. And pretty soon you have this kind of library of podcast episodes, blog posts, whatever it is, products that are, you know, in their words that you can just spit these right back out to Mm -hmm. your audience and you can start building this up before you have any audience whatsoever. And that's going to help you attract them because they're going to be like, oh, that's me. That's me. This is me. They can just kind of all these things that they would use to describe their problems and the solutions they're looking for. And you've like read their minds basically. Yeah. And I will say this. I mean, I recognize I'm a little bit of a unicorn in that I had a business and I had an audience before I made this transition, but I have coached other clinical nutritionists around getting their businesses started. It takes time, whatever you choose to do. So you cannot expect within six months, if you have no list right now, if you haven't done anything in collecting and starting to utilize that data, that clients or whomever may give you, you have to start. You got to start someplace and you have to make a consistent effort. So like I email my list twice a week, sometimes three times a week. Does that mean it's a long email? No, but it could be short. It leads into the podcast. The podcasts are all transcribed. So that way we have written content. I actually have about 50% of my audience that does not like to listen to podcasts. They just mm. want to read. So you again, it's meeting people where they are. And then I do a lot on Instagram as well in promoting the show in promoting my services and promoting my opt-ins. I weave them together because I feel like even though my podcasts are audio content, you can take the written 
form of it and you can turn it into data that they can, like, I can't explain a pie chart. You know, you can say, oh, well, this much, but visually, I'm a visual person. (laughs) Having charts and graphs and all sorts of things, that's where it can be nice to encourage people to go back to the website, to opt in, to check out this ebook or this website. And I oftentimes now find myself referring back to other episodes and interweaving them to help people continue to build their knowledge. So you don't feel like it has to be one or the other. In fact, doing them both, so taking the audio content, turning it into written content has been a huge game changer because then I can take that content and then do like snippets, tweak it a tad so that it's a little Mm -hmm. more Instagram friendly, right? For written content and then use that as Instagram posts and then drive people back to that episode to listen to or to read. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just say, okay, I have a really strong piece of content and now I'm funneling people back. And then obviously inviting them when it's appropriate to say, hey, if you're looking for more answers, you're fed up doing this on your own, here are my services. And I invite you to a strategy session call or however it is that you do it. But everything is a funnel. It's gotta be a process for that person because if you're asking them to lead the way, They're going nowhere. They're going nowhere right now. You have to be the leader. Get a sense of what do they want? What do they need? And you help guide them based on the knowledge that you have that is more than what they have. And if they're the right fit based on you know, how you talk about things and and Mm -hmm. whatnot, then you can make a decision. Do you work with that person in a group setting one-on-one? Maybe they just do your DIY programs and they get better from that. It's awesome. But um, you have to know your clients and your customers. So you mentioned before in terms of growth that the podcast itself, you're in a kind of fortunate situation where you did have that blue ocean where there wasn't much else available. So not a ton of competition. So that works in your favor. You also mentioned doing a lot of podcast guest interviews. Uh, Is there anything outside that that has been real uh, growth drivers for you in your business? I will say that being on some summits was helpful. Yeah, I've done a lot of podcast interviews. I think when the mm-hmm. show launched, I had like done 10 interviews that were all staggered between just before it launched and then the several months afterwards to try to get the word out. And I'm trying to think, Instagram has just been a really big one. I mean, we post on every social media platform that we utilize. So we've actually found, unfortunately, that for my audience, Pinterest was like a waste, total waste of time. Mm -hmm. So we sort of gave up with Pinterest. We focus on Facebook and I do Instagram myself since it's a very personal platform. And then I have a Facebook group that my social media person shares all of my content in every day. So she'll just post up something new. Um, And that's predominantly how it works. I mean, as far as Instagram, like stories are hugely engaging. So a lot of times I will, you know, if I have a show, say like today, my newsletter went out about staph infections, Mm -hmm. which are awful. You know, I talk about, hey, here's a client's story. This is what happened. She was suffering for a long time. But I was like, hey, those symptoms sound like something more serious. You probably should go to the doctor. A lot of people don't know what the signs are. So go check out the podcast because I'm going to go through all the signs and symptoms that I was able to put together from doing online research. And here's how you can ask your doctor to get a culture done. And if they won't do it, here's what else to do. So you provide people a lot of value and then you can share like audiograms and things like that, that give people a taste of what they're looking for. But then with a clear call to action, I will say I have found, and this is just a tidbit of my own 
research, I suppose, experience, putting the link, if you have a swipe up, you have to be over 10,000 on Instagram, but putting the swipe up within the audiograms doesn't really do much. So at the end, what I figured out was do a call to action at the end, like in this episode, put the bullet points of what you talk about and then encourage them to swipe up to tune in. And that actually works a lot better. Just a quick note here. You heard Jen mention audiograms. Even if you haven't heard the name before, you've probably seen them around on social media. They're basically an image with an audio clip, which might be an excerpt from a podcast playing underneath, often with an animated sound wave and subtitles as well. All right, back to Jen. We get a lot of engagement that way and people can ask questions and all sorts of things. But though those, I would say, would be the best things. Oh, add one more thing because you and I had talked about this. Getting people to write testimonials and reviews of the show is also helpful because then they know that it's not this like woo-woo show. Like you go look at a podcast and you see five reviews and you're like, well, were those reviews from their friends? Like who wrote those? And so I have worked really hard to, I have, hold on, I wrote it down. As of today, the date of this recording, 178 ratings. It's got a 4.9 star on iTunes. And we've got so many reviews on there and people can see for themselves of how it's benefited people. And in every show, I do a call to action asking people to rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform they're using. So I think you just have to always ask. It gets a little, sometimes it can feel like, I just, I, but I told them the last, just keep telling people, you never know. That might be their first show that they're tuning into like episode 138. They may have never heard it before. And maybe at the third or fourth time that they hear you say that and they're like, oh, I'm so into this show. They may actually go and leave you a review. So um, it is worthwhile to always ask. On that note, if you're enjoying this show, I would hugely appreciate a rating and review in iTunes or Apple podcasts. I know you think you'll do it later, but pause the episode for two minutes and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on your iPhone or at betterwellness.biz slash review if you're on your computer. I promise Jen and I will still be here when you get back. And go. Done? All right, let's get back to the interview. So the one other thing I've noticed on your website, you have a impressive amount of press coverage, probably well over 100 uh, or maybe even multiple hundreds uh, of different features, including some like two features on the Dr. Oz show. Did you work with a PR agency to get these? Was this all your own hustle? How did those kind of opportunities come about? And I imagine it's something that kind of compounds over time. The more you, you have, the more you get. But how did you kind of get started there? I did everything myself. I had a friend that did her own PR and she kind of taught me how to write pitches. And I used the service Haro, help a reporter out, signed up for that. And I actually, to this day, have my assistant every day. She gets the Haro newsletter and she looks through it. If she sees something that would be of interest to me, she will forward it to me so that I'll, usually I'll look at it and go, Oh yeah, that could be good. No, that's not a good fit. And that's fine. Um, I also have some friends that are very well connected and they're constantly being asked back on other shows. And so I will go to them and say, Hey, you know, are any of your news stations that you're looking for looking for like a pitch like this, or what are they looking for? I think it's really important to build yourself a strong network of colleagues that you support one another, because it's easier if you're constantly supporting 
a friend who's a colleague in, you know, oh, they have a question about their sales page or they have a question about their process. They're more likely to say, oh, I have no problem connecting you with that producer or whomever because it's a good fit and you don't compete with them. And so that's also been another piece to this is working to develop the relationships that will help open doors. But I'll say this, because I have focused much less on getting press over the last year and more on just building my own thing. I'm like, you know what? My Instagram store is my own darn show. I have the healthy skin show. Like I'm building my own little world here. And I know that having those other things is really important, but Haro is a great way to start. It's free. It's a free service. It's better to kind of learn how to pitch And if you need help, find somebody to help you. Um, Nobody needs a long pitch. It should be a few sentences, really clear to the point and an interesting headline, just like you would a podcast or uh, an email blast. Yeah. And I think the thing to keep in mind there too is, is knowing your audience again, which is the producer in this case, and thinking about, you know, what do they want? What would make a useful pitch to them? And so they're thinking about then their audience. So if you need to kind of keep in mind, like, okay, how am I helping the producer by helping their audience? What does their audience want and how can I provide that? And so always like, I think that a lot of people struggle with getting outside of themselves because we all know how important our message is and how much pe- the world needs to hear it. But we don't always think about funneling that into something that people are already looking for in a, in a way that they're going to connect with. Exactly. And, and I'll just say showing up prepared and being maybe even overprepared for things is equally important. I found that as I got more, you know, press gigs and press opportunities, making sure to share the content afterwards is really important. Tag the TV station, tag whosoever show it is so they can see that you are also promoting what they're doing. And actually, I think this is worth mentioning because a lot of guests don't realize that it costs me money as a host to promote you. So when I'm on people's shows, I put a, hey, by the way, I was on so-and-so's show this last week. Here's a link to that interview. So go check it out. You know, there's one thing to be said for like bugging me. When's my interview coming out? When's my interview coming out? And then it comes out and you don't promote it and you don't share it. Like that's going to make me think twice as a host about whether I want to have you back on because it feels at that point that you're just taking. And so it's very important to maintain that reciprocality. Like how can we support one another. It doesn't mean you have to take out a Facebook ad. It just means to share, even if you put it up on your Facebook page and share there. But make sure to share the interviews of all press experiences. A podcast is just as much of an important press opportunity as is, say, being on the Today Show. It might not seem that way in the grand scheme of things, but what if the person's podcast that you were on, what if the producer for the Today Show happens to listen to that podcast and really liked your episode? So you never know if this thing that seems like a little opportunity could actually turn into a bigger opportunity. And you need the little opportunities to prepare you and become more polished and ready to do the larger ones. You've heard Jen talk about the role that podcast guesting has played in growing her business throughout this episode. And I'm not surprised. When done right, guesting on podcasts allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your content. I put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. 
finish off the interview, I asked Jen, just like I do with every guest, what better meant to her when it comes to her business and her life. One that is more sustainable, that really serves people, but also can support me. You know, I always say like, I don't need to have like a Lamborghini or anything like that, but I do need to be able to pay my bills and my student loans and to be able to put food on my table and support my family. And something that I wake up in the morning and I'm really excited to go do. Like my husband's like, you're always working. Like sometimes I'll get an email from a client and I'm looking at it at like, you know, 630 in the morning. And I know people are like boundaries, boundaries. But you know what? I actually... If somebody's going through stuff, I want to be there for them, whether it's 630 in the morning or it's 10 o'clock at night, as long as like, you know, I have to make that decision of whether I want to show up or not. But I love supporting people. To me, that feels like the greatest gift ever. And sharing everything that I get access to, it just feels It feels good knowing that people have been left so in the dark and I'm like, I'm going to get all this stuff on the table. I want these things in 10 years to be the standard. And I know that it's going to be like pushing a boulder up a hill, but I'm okay doing that. And I got a great review on iTunes earlier this year, back in February. This woman wrote like four paragraphs and she was just like, this is the first time in years I've ever had hope. Like I've never had hope like this before. And that alone right there made all the difference. And so I love the people I work with and I love that I have the capacity to leave the world a little better, hopefully than I found it. And I just get excited about the stuff that I am sharing and doing. I'm so grateful to know and have had the opportunity to work with Jen. It really is inspiring to me to see the creativity, passion and effort that she brings to her business. And it was an honor to work with her and help her bring her new show to life. You can find The Healthy Skin Show wherever you listen to podcasts and find Jen online at skinterrupt.com and on Instagram at Jennifer Fugo. Of course, you can find all those links and more in the show notes. As always, I'd love to build on this conversation and invite you to join in. Jen shared a lot about how, in hindsight, there were certain things she was doing in her business that were preventing her from getting the results she was looking for. If you head over to betterwellness.biz voice, I'd love for you to leave me a message about something that, with hindsight, you realize was holding you back and what you did to change it. I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking with Jimmy McKay, a former radio DJ turned physiotherapist turned physiotherapy podcaster about creating content that holds your audience's attention. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. And until next time, keep building better.